I wonder if she stood looking at the events unfolding before her, and as she stared, I wonder if her mind was somewhere else. I wonder if she was seeing a a different scene. I wonder if her mind took her back to that day in her parents' house when she was going about her normal daily chores, when she turned around and all of a sudden there he was, bright, shining white. And then to hear the message that he brought. She was going to be pregnant and give birth to a son. And that son would be the son of the Most High God and and the Lord his God would give him the throne of his father David and he would reign forever. Oh, the joy, the fear, the excitement of that moment. I wonder if as she stood there, her mind traveled just a few months later, nine to be exact, back to Bethlehem. When the time had fully come and it was time to give birth to a son and there was no room for the inn for her, Joseph, and so they went into this stable and I wonder if she could hear the cattle making noise as she relived that moment as her son, her firstborn son, was placed into her arms. And she realized that she never knew what love was before that moment. She wrapped him in cloths and she placed him in a manger. And then to have the unexpected guess. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, some shepherds show up. and Man, the story that they told. They were out in the field just keeping watch over their flocks when all of a sudden an angel appeared telling them that the Savior had been born, the Messiah. He was in Bethlehem, found in a manger. And here they were. And they said that after that one angel spoke, the whole countryside filled with a multitude of angels praising God, saying glory to God in the highest. Oh, and here they came to see her son. And she pondered those things, and she treasured them in her heart. I wonder if then she she thought of a, a little time later, when all of a sudden there was a knock on the house, on the door, and she opened it up, and to her surprise, there were men there. There were men there. And, and they were dressed like they were from the east, and they announced that they were magi. And they had come to see the king of the Jews. They saw his star in the east and they traveled thousands of miles to come and see him and to worship him. And they bowed down before the baby, her baby, her son. I wonder if she thought about the first time that he walked, the first time that he talked. And then I wonder if she thought about the times that he preached. Oh, to hear him preach hear him teach the authority that he had the love that people had for him as he talked about the kingdom of God the miracles that he did how he healed people how how he he turned or how he brought people blind and gave them their sight how he healed leprosy how he rose people from the dead oh and then all of a sudden someone says something and it jerks her back to reality the reality that she can't believe she's witnessing. And now as she's staring straight ahead, I wonder if one more memory comes into play. 
when a sweet old man in the temple named Simeon said to her, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There it was. The sword. As her baby boy is nailed to a cross, has been beaten, whipped. He's wearing a crown of thorns. He's been mocked. Nails are through his hands and feet and the inevitable is in front of her. Her son is dying. Finally, the guards part way. And she can finally approach her son for the first time after this hellish nightmare started 12 hours before. There's so many things she wanted to say. But as she approaches the cross, she doesn't say anything. Because her son opens his mouth to speak. We're in John chapter 19. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Think about the context here. Jesus has been beaten, whipped. He's been crucified. He's got nails between, uh, through his hands and feet. Every time he moves, he's in excruciating pain. He probably hasn't had anything to drink all night long. Probably not since the dinner that he shared with his disciples on Thursday night. He's been mocked, ridiculed. And he sees his mother there. And what's he say? He doesn't ask for comfort. He doesn't ask for, him to, for her to hug his legs. He doesn't complain. Instead, he looks at her and he has compassion for her and for the disciple whom he loves, which is John. And he says, woman, here's your son, and to his disciple, here is your mother. He could have said anything. Why these words? Well, they show us that Jesus cares. And maybe that's obvious. But what does he care about? We learn three things from this section of Scripture of Jesus' care. And that's what we're going to look at today. What does he actually care about? What do we learn about Jesus' care for us? Your first point today. Jesus died for the world, but cares about the individual. What is Jesus doing in that very moment? He's dying for the sins of the entire world. Every person of all time, from Adam and Eve to the very end of the world, Jesus is paying for the sins of the entire world. Literally, the weight of everyone's guilt is on him. And he looks down at his mother and the disciple whom he loves, John, and he has compassion for them. Jesus is all loving. And yet, if Jesus chose to keep quiet in this moment, I think we'd give him a pass. You're a little busy, Jesus, uh, paying for the sins of the world. But he doesn't. He reaches out, and he cares for the individuals 
standing right in front of him, even as he's paying for the sins of the world. You see, Jesus can pay for the sins of the world. He can rule the world and yet care for the individual. Think of it this way. Uh, we talk about a, a king or a president caring for the people, right? What do we mean when we, when we say that? Really, it's for the common good of the people. Does the president or king actually care about your struggles? Do they care about what you're going through? Well, only in the sense that the common good, he cares for you. He doesn't care about what's actually going on in your life. Jesus not only rules the world, not only dies for the sins of the world, but he cares about the individual people. He cares about us as individuals. And how do we see that? Well, let's look at Mary. Most likely, Joseph has died by this point. And the reason is because we don't hear about him after Jesus is 12 years old. He's not at the cross. Uh, and Mary needs someone to take care of her. First century women didn't work. They needed someone to, to work and take care of them. Jesus had no wealth to leave her. He had no home to leave her. He had no property to give his mother. She needed her needs taken care of. And in his compassion, in his care, he reaches out and says, Mary, mother, here is your son. John is going to take care of your needs now. But he also cares for John who's standing there. Think of John. This was John's mentor, his best friend on the cross. The grief he felt along with the guilt that he had. John was with the rest of the disciples who left Jesus to die alone, who deserted him when he got arrested, let him go through the trial by himself. He deserted Jesus, and so he's standing at the cross with this grief and this guilt mixed together, and Jesus cares about him. What better way to soothe that guilt than for Jesus to entrust his mother to his care? What better way to soothe the grief that he had than to give his mother to John and say, take care of her? The thing is, as Mary and John stood there, do you think they even knew they needed this? As they stood at the foot of the cross, do, do you think the first thought that they had was, man, I really need my grief and, and my guilt to be soothed right now? Do you think Mary's actively thinking in that moment, man, who's going to take care of me now? No. But Jesus thought of it because Jesus cares about the individual. He fills the needs under the needs. And he dies for the sins of the world, but he cares about each individual. So what about you? Does he care for you? Are you included in this? Absolutely. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that before the creation of the world, God knew you and he chose you to be his own. Before he said, let there be light, he knew you and he chose you to be his. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, even the hairs on your head are numbered by God. How much care does God have for you? He's numbered the very hairs of your head. He knows how many are in there right now. In Isaiah 43, God says, Fear not, 
For I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And that you is not a collective you. It's not all y'all. It's you individually. It's an individual you. Fear not. I have redeemed you individually, God says. I have summoned you individually by name. You individually are mine. You see, God doesn't just care about the common good of all people. He cares about you as an individual. And as Jesus is on the cross paying for the sins of the entire world, we see that with Mary and John. He cares for each individual. But that leads us to another question. Why John? You may be surprised to note, Jesus had brothers, actual half-brothers, the, the siblings that came from Mary and Joseph. So why does Jesus entrust Mary's care to John and not one of them? It's because at this moment, Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him as the Messiah. In fact, they came out and said, the scriptures are recorded as them saying that he's lost his mind. And so what do we learn about Jesus and the care that Jesus has for us? It's your second point. Jesus cares about your spiritual well-being. Does he care about the physical well-being? Absolutely. But he also cares about your spiritual well-being. And that's what we see with Mary. Jesus doesn't entrust her care to his brothers, but to John. Dark days are ahead. There's a dark moment right here as Jesus has died. But Jesus is also going to leave this earth. And what's Mary going to need? Encouragement. Her eyes pointed back to Scripture. Her eyes pointed back to how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. She would need that spiritual encouragement that she wouldn't get from Jesus' brothers. Jesus cares about her spiritual well-being. And the same is true for you and me. God has placed us in our families to be spiritual encouragers. He cares about our spiritual well-being. But He's also given us a church family. Look around you here today. You are not here by accident. God has brought us here to care for our spiritual well-being. He's placed us here because He cares for you. And the people around you can encourage you. They can be your John. They can encourage you. Point your eyes back to Scripture. Point your eyes back to the Savior, the forgiveness of sins. And you can do that for others. And so the question is, do you? Do you care about the people sitting around you? Are you being a John to somebody, encouraging them, pointing their eyes to Scripture, caring for their needs? Or do you just kind of slip in and slip out as quick as possible? If not, why not? Is it because you're too busy? Is it because you don't think it's your job? Is it because it's not your responsibility? Is it because church is just kind of a thing that I do? I, I go, I get fed, and then I leave? God has placed us here 
because he cares about our spiritual well-being. And part of that is entrusting people to people's care. Mary is in John's care to encourage her spiritually and take care of her physical needs. And that's what our church family does. We care for each other. We take care of our needs. We are John's to others. But we're also Mary's. If you're going through troubles, if you have physical problems, if you're going through spiritual problems, are you letting yourself be encouraged and taken care of? Sometimes our pride says, no, I'm not going to open up. I'm not going to let anyone help me. I'm going to do it myself. Why? God has placed us here to take care of each other because he cares about our spiritual well-being. And that's what we see with Mary. He doesn't entrust her to his brothers, but to John. Jesus dies for the sins of the world, but he cares for the individual. He cares about your spiritual well-being. But we see one more aspect of Jesus' care from the cross, and it's this. Jesus cares about your salvation. Now this one you may be sitting there scratching your head. How in the world do you get Jesus cares about your salvation from Jesus saying, here is your son, here is your mother? This seems to be very much a a physical, yes, spiritual encouragement type thing. How is salvation played in here? Let's take a step back. In order for you to enter heaven, what is necessary? If you're thinking to yourself, I need my sins forgiven, you are correct. Partially. That's part of the answer. Yes, we need our sins forgiven, but God also demands perfection, righteousness. When you stand before God, He doesn't want a spiritual neutral, He wants a spiritual positive. And so think of it this way. Our our sins have made us a spiritual negative. We're way down here. Here's neutral. We're as far down as I could possibly go without reaching and stretching out my arm even farther. When Jesus died on the cross, he wiped those sins away and it's brought us to a spiritual neutral. But we need to be a spiritual positive. And how do we do that? By obeying the law perfectly. Oops. We can't do that. But Jesus can. And Jesus did. You see, the active obedience of Jesus, the the actively obeying God's law is what we call active obedience. Jesus lived the law perfectly. He never passed up an opportunity to love. He never passed up an opportunity to care. He never passed up an opportunity to have compassion on somebody. He always loved God and he always loved others perfectly. That's his active obedience. If you want the doctrinal term for, his, for what he did on the cross and taking away our sins, that's his passive obedience. He sat back and he allowed himself to be crucified, taking on our sins. That's his passive obedience. Active obedience, he fulfilled the law perfectly. He loved and loved and loved perfectly. Passive obedience, he took our sins on himself and died for them. Let's bring it to the cross now with Jesus' words. Here, we have one of the only examples in Scripture where Jesus' active obedience and passive obedience meet. Here at the cross, as Jesus says, woman, here's your son, 
He is actively keeping the fourth commandment. Honor your father and mother. He is actively loving his neighbor as himself. He doesn't pass up the opportunity. He actively does it to the very end. He keeps God's law perfectly to his dying breath. But here also at the cross, we see his passive obedience. As he is nailed to the cross to pay for all the times that we don't care, that we fail to love, that we don't love our neighbor as ourselves, that we fail to honor our father and mother. Jesus is there fulfilling those laws and paying for all the times that we fail to keep them. He cares about your salvation to the very, very end. So that when you stand before God, God looks at you and says, your sins have been forgiven. Jesus paid for them all on the cross. And look, you have perfection in righteousness through my Son who kept the law to the very end. Didn't pass up a single opportunity. Woman, here is your son. To the disciple, here's your mother. And what we learn is that Jesus cares. He cares for the whole world as He pays for their sin, but He cares for you as an individual, just like He cared for Mary and John. He cares for your spiritual well-being as He places you in your families, but then places you in a church family to build each other up, to encourage you, to point your eyes back to your Savior, and then He cares about your salvation as He actively obeys the law and He passively takes your sins to the cross and pays for them all so that you stand before Him justified, declared innocent. So, Let's be John's and let's be Mary's. Let's care for the ones who are around us. Look around today. I'm sure there are people whose names you don't know. Take the time to introduce yourself. If you know that people have physical needs, let's fill them. If you know that people need encouragement to, and pointing their eyes back to their Savior, take the opportunity to do it. God has placed us here to do that very thing. But then also allow yourself to be served. Open up. Be honest about what you're struggling with. Let somebody point your eyes back to the cross where you can be reminded again and again that your Savior loves you, cares for you, has forgiven you. Let your physical needs be met. As we as a church family support you and build you up. Jesus has placed us here because He cares for us. So let's care for others. May He be with us as we carry this out this week and always. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, it is incredible that You are on the cross, enduring the pain, going through everything, and yet uh, You care for the individual. You cared for Your mother. You had compassion on her. You cared for your disciple, and you care for us. We thank you that you care about our spiritual well-being and that you care about our salvation to the point where you didn't let an opportunity to love pass you up, but you, uh, you took it and you loved to fulfill God's law for us. It's because of you that we stand forgiven and that we stand in righteousness and perfection before God because of your perfect record. 
Uh, As we leave here today, help us to care for one another. Help us to love each other. Give us opportunities to care spiritually and physically for one another. Always pointing our eyes back to your cross uh, where we are forgiven and our salvation has been won. Be with us today and let us stand in that peace and in that forgiveness. Amen.